good morning or good evening. Welcome to G5 Football Daily, the audio accompaniment to our uh, coverage of Group of Five College Football on Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation Network. Joe Londrigan here with you, as always. And I'm using my inside voice, or I'm doing my best to use my inside voice, because once again, joining me is Eric Henry of Horns 247 and 247 Sports, and uh, someone who's got a wealth of G5 uh, football knowledge, as many people already know. But uh, yeah, we're, we're recording late at night as to, to not wake people up on, uh, on both <laughs> our ends. So, Eric, how are you? Hopefully nice and calm and not ready to you know, make too much noise. Joe Londrigan, if this is not indicative of our commitment to the brand, the G5 brand that we have given endless hours and days and weeks and months and nearly years of our lives to over the past over half decade, I don't know what it is because I, I now have my uh, my inside voice, one that you know my parents could tell you growing up I did not have <laughs> as a kid. Um, but yes, I am trying not to wake someone to tape this podcast. So hopefully people can enjoy uh, the smooth uh, melodic stylings of both of our voices as we bring you this G5 content because the latest CFP rankings dropped pretty late in the evening this week. So this is the hand that we're dealt and we're playing it. If you are upset at the timing, or at the quietness, be mad at uh, Duke and Michigan State for taking way too long to finish the first half. Um, but in that set of rankings that came out tonight, only one G5 team, not unexpected. Tulane dropped from 23 to 24 uh, following close loss against Tulsa this past week. So, you know, Eric, before we kind of talk a little bit about the performance that got Tulane here, What's your reaction to them getting bumped down a spot when I'm not saying I don't get it. I'm not saying it's not probably deserved. It's just an interesting juxtaposition when they moved up three spots in both the AP poll and the coaches poll this week. It tells me one of two things, Um, or maybe both. I shouldn't say one of two. Mm -hmm. For starters, it tells me that not very many people probably watch that game, Joe. They just saw a result and said, all right, well, you lost. To, excuse me. You, you, you barely squeaked out a, a win against a three and seven, now three and seven to a Tulsa team. Well, that's the end result, right? And it also tells me that the people, the powers that be, are not um, subscribers to the theory that I espouse on the last podcast, Joe, in which I do think, I'm going to say it again, if we're talking about a power five team, there is value in winning. I don't care how it happens. I, I, again, cannot go too in-depth into the program that I cover, but I can use them as an example for the second straight week because they performed this way for the second straight week. Texas remains at number seven. No drop, no shift. Alabama had more of a convincing win this week, no doubt about it in my mind. But you look at Texas for the second straight week, they develop a 20-point lead. Last week it was 20, excuse me, 27-7. This past week it was 26-6. And then end up finding themselves in games in which they won um, at TCU by two points, excuse me, by three points, and won against Kansas State by three points in overtime. Joe, something tells me if this were a group of five team, we'd be looking at them differently. We wouldn't just give them credit just for winning and saying, hey, they found a way to win. They showed resolve. But instead, we would be viewing it through the, the prism of, Oh, well, they blew a lead to teams that aren't 
particularly good. I mean, obviously, I'm not comparing Kansas State and TCU to Tulsa, but I'm just saying if you make it all relative, Joe, it's the same principle, it's the same concept. So uh, it's kind of, again, what I said on this podcast last week that I do think there should be, you know, a, a, an equal weight across the board, Joe, in terms of how we uh, we treat those wins. But the fact of the matter is this, if you're a group of five win, you got to win twice as big to get half as far. It's just the fact of the matter of things. You're not wrong. I think the obviously the committee kind of takes it. It's interesting because I feel like they had sort of your mindset last week when Tulane barely escaped a bad East Carolina team as well, but they rewarded them for that with uh, a bump up in the ratings, I believe, from 24 to, to 23 last week, and now they hop back down. Um, so to see them kind of go back on that a little bit this week after the two-point win over a Tulsa team that's now three and seven. It's a little bit odd, but, you know, I'd be really curious to hear the committee's thoughts on this, and and maybe we'll hear about it uh, on, you know, the ESPN show or when the the transcript comes out. If they do do a call tonight, I'm honestly not sure if they did, you know, time constraints, but I'd be curious to hear what their reasoning is for that. And with Tulane, given that the committee, it it seems, is kind of going back and saying that you have to beat other G5 teams by more significant margins at this point, it it seems to me like they kind of lost their opportunity to do that in the last couple of weeks, right? Or really in the last uh, three weeks, I guess, because they beat Rice 30-28 to in the game prior to East Carolina, and then they beat... North Texas 35 to 28 in the game prior to that. So this is a little bit of an ongoing trend for, for Tulane letting other uh, AAC teams hang around. But in the next two weeks, you now have a, an FAU team that's found its footing too late, but they found their footing and uh, a UTSA team. That's also pretty darn strong. So that's a, that's a weird spot that Tulane find them in for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a weird spot. Um, I think the thing about it that's challenging, right, is, I mean, in the sense of group of five football, as you mentioned, is there going to be two teams that, you know, could easily push Tulane? But the thing is, again, you know, they're not wins that are necessarily going to push you over the hump or, or really kind of solidify um, mm-hmm. any sort of, you know, value in terms of making a push, Joe. I guess in my mind, it, it just it, – it, it really depends – when we get down to brass tacks, the end of things, where does this put Tulane in terms of the, you know, New Year's Six? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I look at the rest of the teams that are kind of in contention, and I ask myself if Tulane is to win out and those other teams that you can make an argument for win out as well, have they adequately separated themselves from the pack? I don't know. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. In my mind, if they went out and win the AAC championship game, then they're going to the New Year's Six. Sure. If they stumble somewhere along the way, that's where things obviously get interesting, like you said. But really, if they win these next two and then lose the AAC championship to, I guess in that point, it would probably be SMU. Then... Yeah, I think you need to have the conversation of do you take SMU or you take Tulane, right? I would think I would take SMU personally, but that's just me. 
because I, I think the only other two, the only other team rather that's kind of on the fringes here um, as far as the, the top 25 is Liberty. But at the same time, I think Liberty has to keep blowing teams out like the way they, they have. And that's not, that's not impossible. They, they don't have a very tough schedule the rest of the regular season. And then they play a New Mexico State team they've already beat in the uh, CUSA Championship, as we'll talk about in a little bit. But to sum it up, I think Tulane's pretty safe in terms of getting to the AAC unless they just completely fall apart in the next two weeks. No, no, yeah. I mean, you're you're, you're not thinking are, are, are pretty much aligned. It's not necessarily the the AAC. It's if for whatever reason there was a stumble, can Liberty, you know, pick up some space, or can you know one of the other teams? Because at that point, in my mind, there's no defined criteria. Then you're just kind of and you're leaving it in the powers that be, and then you're kind of left without answers when the the you know ping pong balls don't fall your way, right? So that's, uh, uh, we're on the same uh, wavelength as far as that's regard. Yep. Liberty or the AAC champion, basically. The thing for me was <sighs> Tulsa's passing game, it's never been bad, but, you know, I, I think the big thing to take away from this was uh, freshman Kirk Francis coming in at quarterback for the Golden Hurricane. He had a huge day, uh, 22 of 34, 345 yards through the air there, uh, and just one touchdown. And, you know, his offensive line kept him pretty clean as well, only two sacks. So you let a guy cook that long, he's going to come up with uh, with something. I believe that was kind of his first uh, game where he got a significant amount of playing time. He, he's played a little bit earlier this year, but he only had like, like six passing attempts or something like that, and that game was in garbage time. But uh, – yeah, that was the interesting thing for me, just the fact that they really couldn't contain the Tulsa passing attack, which, which is something that they've had issues with with some of the other teams on the schedule this year. I think back to that uh, that Rice game, that North Texas game. That's uh, that's notable. But on the positive side, Makai Hughes is phenomenal. He's going to have a great career, as we already know. And Michael Pratt has had a great career. Not his best game, but good enough. 16 to 29, 194 yards and a touchdown. He is a uh, Davy O'Brien semifinalist, as he should be. So, And yours truly has a Davy O'Brien vote. So I absolutely will be taking that into account. There you go. I think I submitted mine already. If they, I might just be part of the general FWAA vote. But anyway, um, so I'm less important than you. Just saying. But, uh, <laughs> you're, you're, you're never um, less important than me, Joe. I appreciate it, buddy. Um, But we mentioned Liberty having locked up that spot in the Conference USA Championship game a few times already, uh, as did New Mexico State, which we knew was a possibility, but they got it done against Western Kentucky during the Tops homecoming last week. Uh, March to a win there. They've only committed one turnover in the last, like, six weeks, which just kind of goes to show the fundamentals that Jerry Kill has kind of drilled into this team over the last two years here. So, you know, good on them. They're eight and three. Uh, but that's the CUSA championship. We got two more weeks, uh, but it's it's weird to have two more games left to play for both these teams, them being of, you know, no postseason consequence. Joe, we'll have plenty of time to talk about the CUSA title game. Shout out to my old high school classmate, Emily Austin, of course, works for Liberty University, who had me on their pregame show to talk about Conference USA over the weekend. And, Listen, like I said, well, plenty of time to talk about that, but I don't think we can talk enough. You know, you and I, we've 
been a little hard on on some teams. I'm sure one of the, you know a couple of those teams will will come up in today's podcast. Um, but I don't necessarily know that we've done a a good job, you know, really spotlighting some of the teams. You talk about UNLV a little bit, and you know some of the Sun Belt teams that are, are making a resurgence. What Jerry Kill has done in New Mexico State. I know we talked about it a little bit last week. Their record post the FIU game that seemingly was the turning point for this team. And I would love at some time before, you know, maybe the CUSA title game, maybe during bowl season, to speak with Jerry Kill and some of those guys to 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 know if that game was in fact a turning point inside that program you know again for people who may have missed the last year's uh excuse me, last week's podcast excuse me um fiu if you remember last year week three or four if my memory serves me correct they'd come off losing to western kentucky 73-0 and were massive underdogs something like 20 22 23 point underdogs heading to new mexico state and uh, fiu was in search of their first fbs win and I believe over two calendar years at that time, maybe three calendar years. Um, and they got the win at New Mexico state. And since that game, I mean, this is a team that's been amongst the best in college football. Diego Pavia had the slip up, uh, you know, earlier this year with the off field incident and, and, New Mex- and New Mexico's practice field, but has really been outstanding um, on the field. And, and, and I do hope that the folks down there in Las Cruces, I know, Post that incident, um, Jerry Kill made the comment that I'm Diego. I'm Diego for the time being that we wouldn't or they wouldn't be hearing from him. So hopefully, um, you know, they, they've started to make him available. But, you know, whether it's been Star Thomas or Jonathan Brady or just the, the litany of guys, Joe, you know, I went back and took a look at their roster, just compared the game notes from last year's FIU game to um, this year. A lot of the same players are back and Jerry Kill managed to keep um, you know, a lot of those Aggies out of the transfer portal, um, they lost uh, Cyrus Dumas was the main guy, that, um, but they managed to keep the majority of guys out of the portal and bring in players who are making, so, I mean, just Joe, we've talked about it in our previous podcast, you know, no disrespect to Doug Martin, who had been there a long time, but this was a bad down and out New Mexico State program. Uh, and having been to Las Cruces, it's a lovely, charming um, community, but it certainly isn't, you know, the most football rich, right? I mean, they do have well, a Hall of Famers out there who have actually played in Mexico State, but those were, you know, decades ago. Um, but yeah, man, just what they've done with that program is really impressive. Yeah, I, I talked a little bit about it with our uh, friends down in Louisiana, Sean Fox and company. 97.7. Of course, you and I both have, have done uh, radio down there at Sports Talk, Rustin 97.7. Yeah, Jerry Kill's done such a good job with uh, everything that he's done. And, you know, we'll see if he can keep it up uh, in year three coming up next year. But they've still got some football left to play. They've got about four games left. So curious to see how things end for them this year. Let's talk about some Mountain West stuff. We got Air Force still in the lead, 5-1. and one. UNLV also 5-1. and one. They played this week, so that's going to be very interesting to see. If Air Force wins... They clinch the berth and then more than likely clinch uh, the ability to host. And then with UNLV, if they win, they clinch a berth. It'll still be up to see what kind of happens with the hosting stuff. Uh, And then Fresno State still in third place, four and two, still live with two weeks left. Boise State have a real slim shot. It's it's probably going to come down to point differential if we're going to you know talk about them getting in, but they've got bigger fish to fry in uh, <laughs> yeah in yeah in in my in my mind. So I, I'm 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 not 
I'm not counting the Broncos out, but I think they're a long shot, which means it kind of comes down to Air Force, UNLV, and Fresno State, Eric. Yeah, I, I couldn't help but but laugh. Uh, you know, I know you'll get into it later this week as far as Boise State's big fish to fry. I think they, well, listen, certainly still want to compete for a conference title. Um, they got they do have a larger issue at hand, um, so I, I won't spoil the next episode. But no, man, Joe. I mean, let's before we, you know, dive uh, deep into this. Before I, I dive deep into this. If I told you at the beginning of the year, Air Force, UNLV, Fresno, those are your teams competing for a big, for a big 12, dear God, I'm still on the day job, a uh, Mountain West title, what would you have said? I would not have been surprised that Fresno State was in the conversation. Definitely would have been, uh, definitely would have been surprised at the other two, though, for sure. That's what makes college football so great in my mind. I mean, sure, you know, you can be a little bit bummed out at Air Force's, you know, slip up. <laughs> Uh, a few weeks ago, um, that's going to take them out of the the running for the Commander in Chief Trophy. But that aside, um, they're having a great year. So have a chance to complete for compete for a conference title. I think that's always great when you get a service academy that can do that. And then UNLV, you know, we've talked ad nauseum about you know the job that Barry Odom has done. It, it was this type of year that was needed to justify the firing of Marcus Arroyo. And quite frankly, you know, you never want to see anyone lose their job, but it, it looks like. They've made the right decision. I really hope they can parlay that again, you know, having been on the ground in, in Vegas a little bit, um, that team playing at Allegiant Stadium. I mean, their practice facilities still, you know, a little ways to go, um, but hopefully they can make some headway and, and, and really kind of develop, you know, some some college football culture out there in UNLV. I, I think, Joe, um, just really quick, I know, you know, again, we've talked about the, the players on the field, but I think what makes this go around different for UNLV is they're doing it in a time in which sports is big in Vegas, you know, and I'm talking about local sports, right? Because of course, for many years, it, it was almost, you know, we're not going to touch Vegas as far as professional sports, but now you have the Knights, you have the Raiders, you know, you, you, you're looking at, you know, seemingly baseball heading there with the Oakland A's. So I think now with Vegas being somewhat, I, I, I don't say this tongue in cheek, but slowly becoming a sports town. I think this may be a little bit different if UNLV can capture some of the hearts of those locals there and, Maybe develop something. Could be interesting. Sure. And I have thoughts about <laughs> tinfoil hat connections between the Boise State uh, situation and the steps they're taking and what UNLV already did with uh, bringing in Barry Odom. But we'll get to that uh, later this week. But, Eric, let, let's quickly talk about the AAC. I think we're going to see one of, like, three pretty likely scenarios, in my opinion. Uh, Tulane, we've mentioned them quite a bit six and oh if they went out then obviously they get the berth and they host uh however you have to also remember smu and utsa also both six and oh and technically tied for the lead uh in the aac and we have the added wrinkle that tulane and utsa play each other to end the regular season so if SMU win out, which is doable, they only have dates against uh, Memphis, which should be a good game, and then Navy to end the season, then they clinch. And then also, which means the second berth ultimately comes down to uh, Tulane and UTSA. And if Tulane win that, then it's Tulane SMU. But if UTSA win it and they win out, then it's UTSA SMU and Tulane don't even go to the AAC championship game. I believe that's the scenario. I don't know, you know, which scenario I think I'm I'm really wanting. I'm intrigued 
because of course you want to see Tulane right now again, as we've talked about, being the the representative for a group of five teams. You want to see them, you know, really make a push. But I'd love to see you know SMU, some new blood, kind of getting there in the American after the years of this thing being dominated by UCF, Cincy, Memphis. You know, would love to see the Mustangs again being there. In the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area, plenty of backing, plenty of firepower. That could be another, you know, group of five powerhouse. And, of course, UTSA. That's one that I think has been near and dear to our hearts from our time covering Conference USA together. Um, really seeing them, even though they haven't had, quote-unquote, the, the type of year. Um, and, and maybe I shouldn't even say that. I shouldn't even say that it, it's the type of year. Maybe they had a couple losses that were a, a little disappointing. But all in all, to walk into the American their first year be 6-0 in conference, I shouldn't even – say they haven't had the type of year. They've had an excellent year. And if they can finish that in, in, in a conference title game, again, just would really go to show what Jeff Trailer has built there. And I, and I don't think we can, you know, ignore Joe. I, I don't know if you had this planned for uh, Thursday's podcast. If you did, apologies in advance, and I'll just make it brief. But, you know, I'd love to see Jeff Trailer if he can get them to an AAC title game and, and who knows, even win it. But even if they don't, if that were his swan song, um, there at UTSA. Of course, he's locked up for a while. You know, Lisa Compost did get him locked up, but still, I think if that were a scenario that happened, Jeff Trailer did more than right by that UTSA program, considering where it was and the years for Frank Wilson. He very much did. I don't want to think about the possibility of Jeff Trailer coaching anywhere other than UTSA right now. I don't think I'm emotionally ready for that. <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I, I can't do that in an inside voice. <laughs> so we'll we'll simply move on uh to the Sunbelt. Uh Troy over the past weekend. They clinched the West Division. Uh five and one in conference play. Uh not possible for them to be uh caught at this point. Uh and it's mostly due to right now that that stellar um point differential in conference play, especially, Eric. 183 points for. 63 points against John Summerall's defense, picking up where they left off last year, even without some of the big pieces they had last season that uh, we got very familiar with. Uh, in the East, you got Coastal Carolina leading things right now since JMU is uh, not eligible. And uh, App State right behind them can still do it if they win out and Coastal takes a little bit of a tumble. But, you know... <sighs> Tim Beck seems like he's really kind of starting to figure this offense out, even without Grayson McCall. You know, Jarrett Guest has been pretty solid the last couple of outings out. So that's what I'm keeping an eye on in the Sun Belt in the last couple of weeks with Troy already clinching the opportunity to, to uh, defend that conference title from last year. Joe, I'm glad that you mentioned that there, right? Because that's why I am rooting for Coastal. The fact that they went through a coaching change, you knew inevitably that there would be a bit of a drop-off because that offense was so very specific to Jamie Chadwell Liberty. You see what he's doing at Conference USA, right? What he's doing at Liberty, making Caden Salter a superstar. Of course, Caden's a very talented player in his own right, but that offense, you know, catering it to quarterbacks, you knew there's going to be a bit of a drop-off. But even if they're doing it with Grayson McCall being banged up a little bit and being out of the lineup. I'm really rooting for Coastal there in the East. I think especially because a team like a Marshall is kind of faltered, even Georgia state, you know, it got to such a hot start. You know, they went what six and they were six and one now six and four, three and four in conference, no real chance of competing for an East title. They've fallen off, you know? So in my mind, even a Georgia Southern, that was kind of in contention as well. So in my mind, Coastal is a team that I personally am rooting for in the East and in the West. You talked about, again, with John Summerall's club, 
they they got off to a bit of a slow start to start the year, but now rattle off seven straight wins and without Carlton Marshall, a player who, you know, is one of the top tacklers in the history of college football, their standout linebacker last year certainly made them go um, without him losing some guys. You know, the, the fact that that team has become an offensive juggernaut with Gunnar Watson. I mean, I didn't see that one coming considering, you know, what I saw of Gunnar Watson last year. So credit John Summerall. I mean, that, that's a guy who, again, a defensive minded coach came from Kentucky, does great things with the defense, but now has has been able to develop a quarterback as well. Just really add into his resume. And, and again, I think that provides a really interesting matchup of a, you know, if Grayson McCall's back by that point in time, you get one of the top players, top quarterbacks, top offensive players in the history of college football against a defensive minded uh, team in Troy. That could be super interesting. It really could. And to shut down or to close out, I should say, not shut down, to close out this part of the show, we have uh, the Mac race in the West. Uh, Toledo, the most likely scenario at this point, is uh, Toledo from the West uh, looking like they, I should say, they're 6 0 in conference play. The next closest team in the East is Northern Illinois at 4 and 3. So pretty unlikely that they catch them at this point. Um, and then in the East, you have uh, Miami, Ohio with a 5 and 1 conference record on top of that division. And if they uh, win this week, I believe that's enough to clinch. Right, six and one. Yeah, I mean, if they win, I think they have to win out. Actually, Miami Ohio is right there, so I think that's yeah, that's that's what Miami Ohio needs to do. They need to win out. I think it's going to come down to the last couple of weeks, unfortunately. But if they win and Ohio loses, that's how they clinch this week. I had it took me a second to figure that out. I apologize, I was a little all over the place there, <laughs> but yeah. So that's the clinching scenario for the Red Hawks in Week Twelve. If they win and Ohio loses. They are going to the max title game. No worries at all, Joe. I covered Jason Candiel's club last year and their Boca Bowl uh, win over Liberty. So, you know, certainly very familiar with that team. And he's done a lot there in Toledo. Really interested to see with Miami of Ohio, Joe. They were able to get a win even without Brett Gappert. You know, I mean, that was really the thing that I think in my mind, again, just really impresses you as far as that program and, and what they've been able to do there in the max. So, um, I would love to see a Toledo, Miami, Ohio, or even a Toledo, Ohio matchup. Um, but shout out to, you know, G5 Ohio football, doing it big. <laughs> it's one thing the uh, the old Ohio guys do best. That and, uh, in my opinion, Chile. But I think we could talk for a couple <laughs> hours on what I'm sure you have. Uh, I'm sure a lot of UCF fans on, on my timeline over the years have uh, shown their disagreement with that take. But I digress. All right, we'll, we'll close that up. And one kind of odd news story from this past week, uh, Louisiana Tech head coach Sonny Cumbie made, uh, made a little bit of a wave, uh, kicking out the publisher of Bleed Tech Blue, which is uh, a Louisiana Tech uh, forum site uh, on the Rivals Network. They do a great job. But he uh, kicked out uh, Ben Carlisle, who was the uh, publisher there, uh, for not being supportive enough in a kind of a just a odd way uh kind of called him out in the middle of practice uh yelled at him in front of the team it was weird um so eric i don't i don't know how much you know you read about that or you know saw some coverage of that and some of the other outlets but i don't know not a great look for for cumby in my opinion in the conversations we've had with him certainly like the guy and i'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt it was a 
moment where I'm, I'm guessing it was just a moment where the, the frustration boiled over. Hopefully you can learn from it, but you know, at the end of the day, the media is not, uh, not members of your staff. So you don't really owe them a level of, uh, you know, supportive commentary at the end of the day to a degree. Joe, I'll be quick. I covered group of five football conference, USA football for, for five and a half years. A lot of these programs do not get a lot of local coverage. Now in Ruston, the Ruston, um, I believe it's the Ruston daily leader, if memory serves me correct. Uh, Matt Bellison. I think it's just the, I think it's just the leader, but yeah. Just yeah, the, okay. Sorry. Um, Matt Bellison does a great job. So they do have someone there and, and that's kind of been um, up and down, you know, so like our old friend Corey Diaz has been on the beat and, you know, um, shout out to Emily Hernandez, who who um, was over in Monroe covering them for a little while for the that beat got dropped. It, it, at least in Louisiana Tech is one of the teams that does for the most part will get at least a, a newspaper person there. Right. But for the most part, these programs do not get a ton of coverage. For someone like Ben, who uh, in my interactions, which have been limited, but I've had interactions with him. I've known to be nothing but professional. He's not making a living off of this rival site <laughs> to call him out the way he Coach Cumbie did in front of the team. That to me is unacceptable. Sonny Cumbie, to be in his defense, did say that, and I have not found any any proof of this, but this is you know we need to give both accounts here. Sonny Cumbie said that. Blue and apparently Ben were calling out players on social media. So the same way that, you know, players are being ridiculed on social media um, that, you know, Ben need to face that uh, in from the, in, in person at practice. Again, I haven't seen it, but I want to give both sides. My point Joe is this. We've done this for a long time. I, I can tell you someone who covered FIU, you know, <laughs> trust me, these programs are not getting a ton of coverage. And um, I just don't think that's how you, go about things. Listen, Joe, you can create the narrative of the media being the enemy when you're, you know, when I'm now at Texas, right? Covering Texas or not at Texas, but covering Texas. It's easy to drop that, right? There's sometimes 25, 30 media members covering Texas. It's easy to to say the media is the enemy. Guess what? They're not at group of five football. Point blank, period, simple. End of story. I will simply say, uh, you mentioned Matt Bellins. And the job that he does at the Rustin Leader, I linked to it in my column on the site this past week of uh, the worst things we saw in the G5 uh, that I tried to do as often as I can. But um, his, his video on the state of Louisiana Tech football um, that I linked to is a really phenomenal like 10-minute uh, watch if you're at all kind of interested in this topic and you want you know kind of a take on what's going on and what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong. So go watch that. That's all I'll say. Let's start wrapping up this episode and talk about games we are looking forward to this week. Uh, for me, the big one is UNLV and Air Force. That one is going to basically determine who hosts the Mountain West Championship game, as we were talking about. But uh, that's the big one in my mind, for sure. Yeah, Joe, I, I've got two in my mind that I'm, I'm looking at. I'll start with one that's a little bit under the radar, but as I said, you know, we've talked a lot about some some programs uh, on this podcast, and I'm not going to sit here and, and be a front runner and and talk about you know things that are going bad. I'm going to come around when they when they do well. Um, that's Charlotte. You know, they came around after the embarrassing FAU loss. They beat Tulsa and then pushed Memphis, uh, 44-38 in overtime. I mean, that to me was very impressive. And I got to give Biff Hoji credit. Again, I've, I've critiqued the guy when I feel like he's been wrong. I'm, I'm going to 
you know, show my face when they, they deserve credit. If they can get a win here over Rice, which is a very up in the air game, and you flip things around from Mike Bloomgren's club, Joe, it feels like two things in life can be guaranteed, right? Death, taxes, and Mike Bloomgren and the Rice Owls fine for bowl eligibility with two or three games left in the year. They they need to win at Charlotte and then win versus FAU. And there's no doubt, Joe, that again, we're not out to fire anybody, but we're talking about a guy who's probably coaching for his job at this point. So that to me is an intriguing matchup. Yeah, looking forward to that one. For me, you know, in the AAC, you might have had what this one in your notes as well, Eric, but uh, at noon Eastern on ESPN Plus, Florida Atlantic hosting Tulane. Little bum that one on ESPN Plus. Feel like we should have got a linear network for uh, for that matchup, but you know, Florida Atlantic fighting for bowl eligibility still. They're four and six with two weeks left, and then Tulane, as we talked about, they still got a lot to play for as well, and they are favored by uh, nine in this one. The over under set at forty seven and a half. So, you know, Tulane I think is is the pick, but Florida Atlantic. I, I would not be surprised if Tom Herman gets a more inspired performance from them than he's seen this year. No, yeah. I mean, I definitely had that one in my notes. The other one that I'm going to go with here, Joe, is kind of like the old guard of the Sun Belt versus the new guard. Louisiana heading to Troy. Louisiana for a few years under Billy Napier was the cream of the crop in the Sun Belt. You know, under Michael Dormo, they, they've kind of you know, taken a step back, no doubt about it. And they've certainly lost some talent, lost some players, and they're fighting for a bowl. You know, they've lost two straight. You know, a couple weeks ago, they looked like they were in a pretty solid position to maybe make a push in the West. Now, just fighting for, for their bowl lives. That's going to be 2.30 NFL Network heading to Troy. We've talked about the job that John Summerall and company is doing. Very intrigued to see, you know, kind of the old guard of the West versus the new guard of the West. See what happens there. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll talk to you a little bit later this week. We've got uh, another conversation regarding some of the coaching vacancies that are starting to pop up in the G5. So come back for that. Make sure you're subscribed on your podcast platform of choice if you're not already. If you want to follow us on social media, I'm at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore Eric of 247 Sports. Uh, well, hopefully join us again soon, but he is uh, at 247, or I'm sorry, he is at Eric C. Henry underscore. And uh, you can find his work covering the Texas Longhorns on that network. And then G5 Football Daily on uh, Instagram and TikTok. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll upload something very soon. Happy football watching, everybody. Have a great rest of your week.